Welcome to the Radio Bible Course. Today we begin Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 continues the author's discussion of the possibility of people failing in the matter of faith. And I see at least three warnings in this chapter, all introduced in the Greek text by a word translated, therefore. Verse 1 is one of these. It reads, therefore. While the promise of entering his rest remains, let us fear, lest any of you be judged to have failed to reach it. That certainly is a warning. Verse 11 is another warning. It reads, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that no one fall by the same sort of disobedience. This warning attributes the possible failure to enter God's rest to disobedience, and this refers to failure in obeying the message of faith. The context demands such an interpretation, especially the last two verses of chapter 3, which read, And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? Notice the word disobeyed. And then verse 19, So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Disobedience and unbelief are equated here. It will help if we will keep in mind that this book was written to Jews who had become followers of Jesus, and Jews understood obedience as believing what God had revealed through the prophets. In Rome, there were also Jews, and we find Paul using the word obedience to call their attention to the importance of believing God. So in Romans 1.5 we read this, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. That expression, I believe, is another way of saying, believe the gospel. Paul uses this expression, obedience of faith, a second time at the end of Romans in chapter 16, verse 26. We read, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. There it is again, a call to believe God. Now, I see a third warning in Hebrews chapter 4. It's verse 14, and it reads, Since, therefore, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Again, in the Greek, we have that word, un, translated, therefore, but not in the Revised Standard Version, which I normally use in our teaching, it should read, Having therefore a great high priest, let us hold fast our confession. These Hebrews apparently were wavering in what they had believed, and this is an exhortation, as well as a warning, to stand fast in the faith. Now, we should not forget what the writer discussed in chapter 3. He talked about the people of God who failed to enter Canaan's rest. They were the ones who heard God's promise concerning that land of Canaan, and he tells us they refused to believe what God had promised to them. That was rebellion, 
and he refers to it as sin and also as disobedience. The result of that unbelief was that they could not enter the promised land. God closed that door. Now, the people in the first century, these Jews, these are Hebrews, they have received the promise from God also of entering into an eternal rest. It's spiritual, not physical. And they are teetering here because of their doubts. They're not sure that Jesus Christ is enough. So these warnings are appropriate. And the writer in chapter 4 is continuing this theme of entering into his rest. We saw that chapter 3 began a warning based on the wilderness journey of the Israelites. We saw that in Exodus and the book of Numbers. They were called the people of God, but that doesn't mean they had salvation. They had the promise of deliverance and the promise of the land of Canaan, a place of milk and honey. They were Canaan-bound, and that was first promised to Abraham in Genesis 15. It was called the land of rest, as indicated in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. It was intended that they would get there in a hurry. But the spies who were sent out by Moses, they feared the giants and they forgot God's promise and so God confined them to the wilderness journey for 40 years. Now the land of Canaan serves as an illustration of heaven for the believer. Why? Well, it's a place of peace, rest, happiness, deliverance from enemies, safety, comfort, God's care, and a final home where no danger or corruption exists. For the Israelites, it would result in a theocracy. Late in the life of Jesus, he made a promise to his disciples, and it's a promise clearly related to the church because it was given the night before he was crucified. He talked about a place of rest, in his father's house. He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also." He referred to it as my father's house, and instead of emphasizing physical blessings, he expressed the most satisfying aspect of that place when he said that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is our God. He's God the Son. The people to whom this book of Hebrews was written were certainly aware of the failure of their forefathers. They had a firm promise from God that he would give them the land of Canaan from the river Euphrates to the river of Egypt. But all this they forgot. They insisted on testing the Lord during the journey in the wilderness, forgetting the promises that he would care for them. We saw their problem. It was unbelief. And for that failure called disobedience, God said... In fact, he took an oath that they would not enter his rest. 
Israel's failure to believe God, which resulted in grumbling, idolatry, immorality, and various evil desires, even testing God, were written for our learning. How do we know that? From Romans 15, verse 4, it reads, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. In the following passages, after that passage in Romans, Paul calls our Father the God of steadfastness and encouragement. This means His Word is good. You can rely on it, count on it. He'll not fail to keep what He has promised. In addition, God offers encouragement along the way to our place of rest. Now, that's certainly applicable to the Christian. We have believed a promise of God. Well, there are actually many promises, but they're all related to eternal salvation based on the sacrificed Lamb of God. And God wants to encourage us to believe those promises, and he calls himself the God of steadfastness because he certainly won't back down on what he has promised. You can depend upon him. I'm reminded of what John wrote in his first epistle. If we believe the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. And God has made a promise regarding his Son. He has told us that life is in his Son. He who believes has eternal life. The journey of God's people in the Old Testament is a physical illustration so that we might be instructed about our spiritual journey. Notice the similarities between what was given to Israel and what is given to the Christian. First of all, both have promises of a far country. And both begin with the sacrifice of a lamb. Both involve a baptism. The Israelites were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and Christians are baptized in water at the beginning of their journey of faith. In both cases, there is a deliverance of God's people from slavery. The people of Israel, of course, were delivered from Egyptian slavery, and we from the slavery of sin. And both have promises of God's comfort and care along the way. That's certainly true for the Christian. Cast all your care upon him, Peter wrote, for he cares for you. And both ask the pilgrims to have confidence based on covenants. There was that covenant made at Mount Sinai called the Old Covenant. And there is that New Covenant, which began with the cross-crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator of a new covenant. We'll learn that in Hebrews chapter 9. Seventh, both have obstacles. That is, there's discouragement, opposition, and difficulties en route to the promised land. And finally, in both of these cases, God asks his people to be different from the world around them. Now, there are probably many more similarities between 
the journey of the people of Israel in the Old Testament and the journey of God's people who believe in Jesus Christ in this age. I might add that in both cases, a priest was involved. There was the Levitical priesthood, which accompanied the people as they journeyed toward the land of Canaan. And we, too, have a priest. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, as we read in Hebrews chapter 7. There's a change in the priesthood, the writer tells us. And since there is that change, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. But more important than the similarities between the church and Israel in their journey to the promised place of blessing is a difference, and that's brought out in Hebrews chapter 7. It tells us that the former priests were many in number. They died. They couldn't continue in their ministry. But we have a priest who is forever. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And he has no need, like those high priests under Judaism, to offer sacrifices continually. The high priests did that. They offered a sacrifice for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus came, and he did this once when he offered up himself. And this priesthood of Jesus is based on something far better than the priesthood of the Old Testament. It's based on the word of the oath of God. God appointed him a priest forever when he said, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Well, our time is up. We'll return to our study tomorrow. I hope you'll join me here. If you are enjoying these broadcasts, please tell a friend. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news.